One of my friends works in the theatre and she sees no hope of returning to that world even when the initial coronavirus crisis passes. She needs a job. Another client came to me last year because he wasn't enjoying work anymore. If I was talking to him now, I'd be trying to help him reinvigorate his job in case he just has to stay put. What about you? Are you looking for work? Unhappy at work? Not sure of how to manage your career during this crisis? Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. This is Season 1, where we're looking at how to survive and even thrive in your career during the coronavirus pandemic. In today's episode, which is number one in our coronavirus series, we'll cover two different scenarios. What to do if you're in a job and are unhappy but don't want to move. And secondly, what to do if you need to find a job. So let's get started. What can you do if you still have a job but you really don't like it? I've got eight tips here that will help you. And the first thing really is to look at what changes you have control over. So tip number one, rather than just having a vague statement of discontent, identify your negatives precisely. Is it the job? Is it your boss? If it was me, it would be meetings, for example. I'm, I'm just not a meetings person. They drive me crazy. Whatever it is, consider talking it over with your boss. Your boss is not a mind reader. He or she can't possibly know where your discontent is if you don't talk to him or her. And it's easier to solve a concrete problem. Taking up on this issue of talking to your boss, I would recommend that you have a, a specific meeting with your boss because business operations have likely changed and if you can meet with your boss and nut out what it is you need to do to help, you're more likely to enjoy the tasks if, you, if you've had some control over them. But make sure you prepare beforehand. Come up with how you would like to frame the job, the direction you would like to take the job in, obviously making sure that it's likely to meet business needs. Third thing is I think you need to have a sounding board at work. Find one person at work who you can trust and use them as your sounding board. People at home don't really understand the nitty gritties and don't really probably want to hear all the nitty gritty about what's not working at work. But to everybody else at work, you need to be the happy, sunny, smiley face. Tip number four, smarten up your work environment there's plenty of research that shows that your workspace can affect your mood and your level of job satisfaction i can always remember going out to penrice soda out at port adelaide a few years ago and it is stuck in my brain as one of the ugliest places i have ever seen and i just don't think i could work there i need to have somewhere pretty to be happy now, I know it's very difficult at home. You're probably lucky even to have a, a corner of a table to call your own. If possible, now that things are settling down at home, make your space a proper office space. Have nice stationery. Whatever it is you need, have pictures of your family. Whatever it is you need to feel that you enjoy working in that space. And the same thing at work. You could probably tell I'm a stationery junkie. I love the attractive gizmos. Get rid of clutter make it more attractive and, and add some personal touches so that you enjoy being there. The next tip is to focus on your health. Make sure you get enough sleep. Make sure you exercise, especially if you're working at home. Don't just get up in the morning, work all the way through without a break. I typically, if I'm working from home, I'll take my work down for a period of the day and work in a coffee shop. I don't really talk to anybody in the coffee shop, but I find I get energized by being around the hustle and bustle of the outside world. Go for a coffee. Go for a walk if you can. Next tip is to stay in the moment. 
Close down Facebook and avoid YouTube. Focus on the tasks at hand and then you'll be surprised at how much faster time goes. And do your best work. In my first job as a teacher, I came to the point where I didn't want to be there anymore and I had to give six months notice. To make it worse, I had two year eight classes. Now, one year eight class of French is fun, but two year eight French classes, when I was already bored with my job, it was pretty boring. And then to make it even worse, one of the classes was just that little bit ratty. I never wanted the kids to know that I didn't want to be there. So every day I got up, I went to work, and I never let them know. And clearly it must have played on my mind because for many, many years afterwards, about once a year I'd have this um, nightmare that it was September and I hadn't even set any homework for the Year 12 French class and I was trying to justify to them why that this was okay. So clearly it played on my mind this issue of wanting to do the right thing by my um, children, by the kids. And if you think about it, it's not your workmate's fault that you don't want to be there. And it's not your boss's fault that you don't want to be there. So have some self-control and behave, as my mother used to say. Reward yourself every week. I've got this love of freshly squeezed orange juice. So your reward doesn't have to be a high monetary value item. It can be something that is a guilty pleasure that you don't really, that you don't really allow yourself to have very often. So reward yourself every week. You've stayed. You've behaved well. What's your reward going to be? And then finally, have a concrete exit strategy and do one small step each week to get back to your dream job. So when I was teaching, I studied Japanese. I realized that that was my pathway through to my next career, which I wanted to work in hospitality. You're more likely to be able to put up with your current situation if you can see that it will come to an end. It is possible to revive your relationship with your workplace. You just need to take the first step and then the next step and then the one after that. The second major area to think about if you are staying at work and you're not happy is to treat your boss like your customer. If your boss had to make a choice between you and your co-workers, would they keep you on? I can remember working with a government employee who told me that he hated his boss. He was shocked at the concept of boss as customer when I talked to him about it and he was just not prepared to treat him this way. And I wonder if he'd say the same thing today. I've done it and I've done it cheerfully. When I subcontracted many years ago, my manager had picked up a huge project and was frantically busy. And one of the other consultants was being quite awful to me. She was so bad that my client actually brought in another consultant to pull her into line. If I had operated on the standard employee mindset, I could have easily bothered my boss, my manager with legitimate issues. Instead, I did everything possible to make life easy for him. I clearly understood that he was my client. One of my contacts faced redundancy last week. He and a colleague were up for the equivalent of one full-time role. But what the employer did, instead of splitting that one role between each of them, the employer gave the role full-time to my contact and the other person was just let go. It's time for you to imagine that you have no contracted relationship with your boss. Control yourself, just as you hopefully do with your customers. It's actually a key part of your job and it also makes sense from a career survival perspective. The third area to look at 
if you need to stay in your job, is to gain the reputation of being a positive problem solver. I think it's just going to be more and more dangerous to be a problem finder. You know, one of those people who always complain and proclaim why something can't be done. The manufacturing world cottoned on to continuous improvement or step change or Kaizen, whatever it is they call it, which is this belief that critical elements of a workplace can be improved. And it's a worldview that requires a positive mindset. So switch from complaining to solving specific problems. Implement three actions you're prepared to take to solve the next issue that comes up at work. And talk to others outside your immediate work group. You might find that colleagues from other technical areas in the business can help you think outside the square. Problem solvers are more likely to keep their jobs and be recommended for interesting roles as they come up. Every good business values a positive can-do type of person. Make sure you're recognised as one of those people. reinvigorate, revitalise your career if you're staying in a job or in a workplace where you're not happy. I want to now talk to those people who aren't in work or who want to change jobs once the hiring picks up. What is it you might need to think about? First issue, if you're unemployed when the hiring starts again, you need to cover every base. When I first started in this area of career development, it was a terrible time to find work. Um, Adelaide was in the midst of a recession and what I found is the clients I worked with were very disciplined. They would do whatever it took to get another role, even the dreaded job search networking. With interview skills, for example, I would have an initial session and they would then typically go away and do eight or so hours of practice before they came back to their second session, before they even had a face-to-face -face meeting. They knew how important it was to be good at interviews and they did the work. To win a good role in a difficult era, every single aspect of your marketing material will need to be schmick. I'll cover off on these elements in detail in later podcasts, so I just want to give you a brief overview today. Firstly, I've yet to see a cover letter that isn't either too long and or too boring. To produce a great cover letter, you have three specific tasks. The first one is where most people concentrate. You do need to demonstrate that you're an outstanding candidate, but most people ignore the second and third task. Your second task is to convince them that you want that job in their organisation through what I call subtle flattery, because particularly in Australia, if it's over the top, people won't believe you. And your third task is to sound likeable and normal. And you can achieve that by using language, which is what I call professionally chatty. It is a letter, you don't know that person, there is an, an element of formality, but you want your language to flow naturally and, and, and easily. A couple of other little things with cover letters, you need to obey the current style rules. Letters are at a very awkward halfway house between not obeying the old-fashioned rules, but also maintaining some of those old-fashioned rules. And there can be no errors. If you're announcing to the world that you're an outstanding candidate, there can be no errors. Final thing, you need to fit it all on one page. It's a very difficult document. The second element of your marketing material is your resume. And the main error with resumes is that people don't focus on achievements. You will need to win them on page one 
Typically, recruiters will take only six seconds to decide whether to be bothered with your resume or not. And apparently, our general attention span now is at eight seconds, and the joke is that a goldfish has a longer attention span. Make sure you have modern font and a stylish, logical layout. And by the way, for those of you who are in Australia, we offer a few templates free of charge on our website. Australian resumes are different to United States resumes, so whatever you do, don't download a template from the United States. The third element to look at in your marketing material is, do you have an excellent LinkedIn profile? With the key elements being in order, your photo, your headline, and whether or not you have the appropriate type and number of keywords. And the second point with LinkedIn is, are you using it well? And the final element with your marketing material is, there's no point having any of the above if you can't convince people of your worth in an interview situation. Start your theory, factor in the fact that you're likely to have a video interview, which I'm going to cover specifically in episode four, practice recording yourself on your phone and viewing back your performance, then practice with an astute friend and do the whole lot well before an interview. You will need to have all your ducks in a row to win a good job. Once things settle down, start networking. If there are fewer jobs and more candidates, these roles will go to exceptional and or recommended candidates. It's a bit hard to do networking now. No one really wants to see anybody unless it directly relates to the survival of their organisation. Once business opens up, wait for normality to return and then start your networking. Networking is a difficult task and it's a good idea to understand it before you start meeting people. You can take back a resume that you've given to somebody and give them a better version. You can't take back a meeting. So before you start those very precious meetings, make sure that you understand how to do it. I'll be talking about job search networking specifically in the next two episodes. It's a long, hard road, but it does lead to a job and usually a good one. Make sure also that you train yourself up in technical skills. No hiring employer is going to say, we're not going to hire you because your Excel skills are too good, but they may well say the opposite. When I left my last job, I also left my PA behind and I suddenly had to train myself up in Word. And I cannot tell you how many times I cursed that computer, believing that I had done exactly what it is I was supposed to do, only to find that it had failed. If you know Excel, move up the skill ladder to be advanced at Excel. Experiment with whatever software is relevant to your industry. Push yourself up that skills ladder so that you become an expert. It does two things. It boosts your confidence and, of course, it boosts your employability. So today we've been talking about practical things you can do if your career has been damaged by the coronavirus. Your next step is to ask for help, whether it's friends, family or experts. When I left my first job as a French teacher, my friend Eileen helped me with my resume. She recommended that I took out all references to teaching so that my resume sold my transferable skills. I can't believe she was so wise. You need to choose people like Eileen, people who are sensible, practical problem solvers. Whether you need to upskill, whether you need to change your mindset, or whether you need to adopt a new behaviour, it's amazing what you can achieve if you've got help and if you're determined. Good luck and my sincere best wishes in these most difficult times. Now this is my very first podcast and I don't have any reviews anywhere yet and I don't have many subscribers. 
if you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'll do a regular fortnightly podcast and the next episode I'm going to spill the beans on job search networking, which is one of the most valuable, if slightly scary, tools to win a great job. And remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you can find a full article on the topic, an infographic and a video that summarises the different elements and the links to any tools or resources I've pointed out. I'll repeat that, www.careerconsult.com.au. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos, blogs and infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. And now I'd like to finish my podcast the way I will with every podcast with my hashtag, which sums up my philosophy on the place of careers in the